This is Dave Perry. In this podcast, I'll explore ethical views on war in Judaism. This episode and three others on religion and war are adapted from my book entitled Partly Cloudy, Ethics in War, Espionage, Covert Action, and Interrogation. If you'd like to purchase a copy, go to my website, practicalethicsinstitute.com, where you'll see both a link to my publisher and a code that will give you 30% off the regular price. Frequently in the Hebrew Bible, or what Christians call the Old Testament, Love of one's neighbor is said to be a fundamental duty. In fact, love is to extend beyond one's religious or ethnic kin to include resident aliens as well, according to Leviticus chapter 19. Murder and other forms of unjust violence are forbidden. The most familiar wording of the Mosaic commandment in Exodus, thou shalt not kill, is from the King James Version of the Bible published 400 years ago, but that commandment is almost certainly better translated as, you shall not murder, as noted in the New Oxford Annotated Bible. The primary theological moral arguments underlying or reflected in these Hebrew Bible commandments appear that appear to be that, one, God is loving, so imitate God's love. Two, God has shown mercy to you, so show gratitude to God by being merciful to others. And three, human beings are created in God's image, so treat them as sacred beings. If we considered these ideas in isolation from some other biblical values and commandments, we might derive an ethic of strict pacifism toward human beings, an absolute duty not to kill people, since killing even a murderous attacker might be regarded as a kind of sacrilege as well as contradicting love. But that's not, apparently, what the ancient Hebrews concluded, since murder and other serious offenses were subject to capital punishment, in other words, a form of intentional killing. See Exodus chapters 21 to 22, for example. Genesis chapter 9 says, Whoever sheds the blood of a human, by a human shall that person's blood be shed, for in his own image God made humankind. I would interpret that in more modern terms to mean, All persons have a basic right not to be killed, rooted in their having been created in God's image, but they can forfeit that right if they commit a serious enough offense. So far, this would only permit those who are guilty of certain crimes to be executed, in other words, strict retributive justice. In that vein, Deuteronomy chapter 24 states, Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children for their parents. Each one may be put to death only for his own sin. In addition, if this ethic permitted war at all, it would seem to limit it to the defense of the innocent against unjust invaders or in punishment of their atrocities. But collective punishment and indiscriminate war were also commanded or approved in the Hebrew Bible, especially in cases of idolatry. The first of the Mosaic commandments prohibited the Israelites from worshiping anyone but Yahweh. God demanded purity and strict obedience. Idolatry and blasphemy were punishable by death, according to Exodus chapter 20. Non-Israelites who lived within the area believed by the Hebrews to have been promised to them by God were seen to pose a great temptation to them to abandon their faith. This led them to rationalize the slaughter of entire communities a combination of preventive war, holy war, and total war in some of the most chilling passages in the Bible. 
Deuteronomy chapter 20, for example, says, In the towns of the nations whose land Lord your God is giving you as your holding, you must not leave a soul alive. You must destroy them so that they may not teach you to imitate the abominable practices they have carried on for their gods. Passages in chapters 6 and 10 of the book of Joshua claim that Joshua's army killed everyone in Jericho, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua defeated the whole land. He left no one remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel commanded. In contrast to the exterminations prescribed for Israel's internal foes, its external enemies were to be treated somewhat more leniently. According to other verses in Deuteronomy 20, they were first to be presented with peace terms, and if those were accepted, then the people would be subjugated, not killed. But if they rejected the terms, the men were to be slaughtered and the women and children enslaved. In those respects, the Hebrews differed little from other ancient cultures. And on that sort of point, I recommend a book by Lawrence Keeley called War Before Civilization. Later, rabbinic commentators who compiled, compiled the Talmud confined wars of annihilation and other indiscriminate killings solely to the specific divine, divine commands connected with the ancient conquest of the Promised Land, according to Reuven Kimmelman. But theological questions about the consistency between indiscriminate war and God's ethical character remain. How could a loving and just God ever order someone like Joshua to massacre whole communities? Even if all of their adults were guilty of abominable practices, which itself seems highly doubtful to me, how would that possibly justify killing their children and livestock as well? Apparently, the Talmudic writers wrestled with such questions themselves, since, according to Michael Walzer, they invented a story about King Saul in which he refuses to obey a divine command to slaughter Amalekite civilians indiscriminately, asking God rhetorically, if the adults have sinned, have sinned what is the sin of the children? The admirable chutzpah of Saul in the Talmud in arguing with God has biblical roots in Abraham's attempt in Genesis 18 to persuade God not to destroy Sodom if that meant killing the righteous along with the wicked, and in Job's heretical questioning of God's justice in allowing innocent people to suffer and evil people to prosper. But although the Talmud evinced scruples against wars of annihilation, According to Michael Broyd, it gave explicit permission for individuals, individuals to kill murderous pursuers, either in self-defense or in defense of others, based primarily on Genesis 9, verse 6, though that verse seems to apply only to a murder that's already occurred. Maimonides even thought that killing in such cases could be required in light of his reading of Leviticus 19, verse 16 which says, don't stand idly by the blood of your neighbor. Defensive war was permitted on those grounds as well, and required if the survival of a Jewish state was threatened. Pacifism was only recommended as a prudential option when using force against oppression or invasion would likely result in significantly more harm to the community. Even when just cause for war existed, though, Maimonides and most other rabbis have urged that nonviolent efforts to achieve justice and maintain peace be pursued first. If war regrettably ensues in spite of such efforts, 
destruction should not exceed what is minimally necessary to achieve important military objectives, and innocent lives should be spared whenever possible. As noted by Michael Walzer, Philo of Alexandria wrote in the first century of the Common Era, Common Era, when the Jewish nation takes up arms, it distinguishes between those whose life is one of hostility and the reverse. For to breathe slaughter against all, even those who have done very little or nothing amiss, shows what I should call a savage and brutal soul. So, in contrast to the ancient rationales for total war, the Jewish tradition developed ethical limits on war comparable to what we now call jus ad bellum proportionality, such that war should only be uh, a last resort, use in bellow proportionality, minimizing collateral harms to the defenseless, and non-combatant immunity. Drawing in part on elements of the Jewish tradition, the contemporary code of ethics of the Israel Defense Forces, or IDF, requires soldiers to use minimally necessary force to spare civilian lives and to respect their dignity, property, values, and sacred sites. Clearly, a war of annihilation like Joshua's would not be permitted under the IDF code. But in practice, the code has not always been upheld in Palestinian areas occupied by Israel since 1967, nor during Israel's wars with Lebanon in the 1980s and 2006. Israeli military force is not always discriminate or proportionate. Whole families of individual terrorists have been punished collectively their, ho their houses bulldozed or blown up, and Palestinian civilians are intimidated and humiliated on a daily basis. But many Jewish people have criticized those tactics, along with the policy of successive Israeli governments to build Jewish settlements in the West Bank and defend them with IDF soldiers. Such critics have explicitly or implicitly drawn upon centuries of Talmudic affirmations of compassion, fairness, and respect for human dignity. This is Dave Perry, director of the Practical Ethics Institute. In my next podcast, I'll explore Christian views on ethics and war. And thanks for listening.